Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we have another exciting contenders episode. We'll be talking about international feature, documentary feature, and animated feature. So if you've been listening to our contenders series so far, as we've tackled all of the technical categories, you know that we usually go one by one through each contender today because we're talking about feature films and some of these films we've discussed in more depth previously. Others are recent watches for us. We're going to be discussing each category a bit more collectively. So we'll run through each film, we'll share a description, and then we'll talk about the group of nominees as a whole. And of course, at the end, still sharing our write-in votes and who we think should win for each category. So let's get started with Best International Feature. Our first nominee here is All Quiet on the Western Front. This film is about a young German soldier's terrifying experiences and distress on the Western Front during World War I. It was directed by Edward Berger. Germany's history at the Oscars, they have three wins for The Tin Drum, Nowhere in Africa, and The Lives of Others, and 21 total noms. And these nominations and wins were split between East and West Germany between 1956 and 1990. But then the country was also shortlisted five other years. So this film we've talked about quite a bit this year. We did an award season roundup. And then recently we just posted our interview with the visual effects supervisor, Frank Petzold. So go ahead and listen to those for a more in-depth conversation on this movie. But it was also nominated for eight other Oscars this year. Yeah, so this is our big international contender for sure. Next up, we have Argentina 1985 from Argentina. This film is about a team of lawyers who take on the heads of Argentina's bloody military dictatorship during the 1980s in a battle against odds and a race against time. This was directed by Santiago Mitre and Argentina at the Oscars. They have two wins and eight nominations. They won previously for The Official Story and The Secret in Their Eyes. This movie this year has had quite an interesting road, so it did win the Golden Globe in a surprise win. I think a lot of people were expecting maybe RRR would win there, which of course wasn't eligible for the Oscars, maybe Decision to Leave, which isn't in this category here, but it won the Golden Globe. It also won the NBR Freedom of Expression Award, and then it won an award from the International Federation of Film Critics at the Cannes Film Festival last year. Next up, we have Close from Belgium. The description here, the intense friendship between two 13-year-old boys, Leo and Remy, suddenly gets disrupted. Struggling to understand what has happened, Leo approaches Sophie, Remy's mother. Close is a film about friendship and responsibility. It's leaving a lot to the imagination. I highly recommend seeing this film, which is also completely devastating. It's directed by Lucas Daunt. Belgium's history at the Oscars, they have zero wins, but have eight nominations. And this film won the NBR Best International Film and the Grand Prize at Cannes Film Festival. Next up, we have EO from Poland. I love EO so much. This was in my top 10 of the year. I know this is going to be a struggle for you, so we will get there. (laughs) So EO is a story about a donkey who journeys across Poland and encounters lots of different kinds of people. He experiences pain and joy, and it really is just such an audacious, 
fresh film from the Polish filmmaker Jerzy Skolomowski. And Poland at the Oscars, they've won once before for Ida, and they have 13 nominations. Recently, my other favorite nomination of theirs was Cold War, of course. Mm -hmm. And this film has had a really good track record this season with awards. It's also distributed by Janus Films. The same team is behind this one that was behind Drive My Car last year. That sort of explains its awards push, I think. It won Best International Film from the New York Film Critics Circle, and it won Best Film Not in the English Language from the LA Film Critics Association. It also won Cinematography there. This would have been an amazing cinematography nomination. Mm -hmm. And at Cannes, where it premiered, it also won the Jury Prize and the Soundtrack Award for Best Composer. I will say this film has some completely captivating elements mostly the score and the cinematography, but I will say this is like the most oddball choice for international feature I feel like we've gotten in at least the past five or ten years. Well, they, it was because they were finally creative for once. <laughs> I and didn't say the bad. Best film. It was just <laughs> odd. It is odd. And when people ask me if they should see EO or not, I do always give a little caveat that it is quite <laughs> a bizarre experience and... It's not what you're expecting. Mm-hmm. It is not this like sweet film about a talking donkey or anything like that. It is, it's very out there, but I'll save mm-hmm. more of my comments on EO when we do the big discussion of, yeah, the, of I the have group. More, yeah, exactly. So our final nominee here, we have The Quiet Girl from Ireland. Description here, a quiet, neglected girl is sent away from her dysfunctional family to live with foster parents for the summer. She blossoms in their care, but in this house where there are meant to be no secrets, she discovers one. It's directed by Colm Barade, and Ireland's history at the Oscars, this is their first nomination, which is amazing. They were previously shortlisted in 2015. So this film won Best Foreign Film at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards, which I feel like that tracks pretty well. I totally agree. I can't see that, that awards body going for EO necessarily. But I will say that the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards this year, they did a pretty good job with their winners. <laughs> I do have to say, I'm not just saying that because I have the, the heart and soul of a person who belongs in the AARP. <laughs> this was a completely harmless film. Very enjoyable and an easy watch. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about all of the nominees now. So what do you think of this group as a whole? I actually would replace a number of these films if I were picking based on the films that were eligible. However, I do think overall this was a good group of films to watch. I think we have a nice mix of types of films, directorial styles, and there are some pretty significant achievements, I think, in this group. It's just that this category, year after year, I tend to get attached to a lot of films that don't end up getting nominated, which always stings. So I think that when I think of the international features from this year, it's sort of impossible to not think of Decision to Leave or Santo Mare or One Fine Morning and Holy Spider. So I think that's always hard with this category because there are just too many strong options. It's a very European group. So we have Germany, Belgium, Poland, Ireland. Four of the five countries represented are European. So I think I would prefer to have a little bit more of a mix here from different countries around the world because we did get some amazing cinema from across the world. But 
overall, I think that this category is relatively strong, but I do have a clear favorite. Yeah, I feel similarly. Usually this group tends to lean political, and we didn't see a lot of that this year. We did with Argentina, which I think is maybe why it won at the Globes. But starting out this season, I didn't really think we had a clear favorite. And I think recently that's start to come more in focus with All Quiet. But I am glad that when the shortlist came out, we had a very, very strong list of 15 films. And it really could have gone in any way. And I agree with you in saying I wish it had gone not a completely different way, but I would also switch out a few of these. In terms of political ideas and important themes and true stories that were present in the shortlist alone, I would have picked Holy Spider. And then we also mentioned on our top films of 2022 episode, I mentioned Return to Soul. I mentioned Close in my top 10 in my honorable mentions, and then also Santo Mare, which we loved from the Venice Film Festival, but I think would have been a very different entry in the same different way that EO is here today. I think we should have made room for more of those different types of entries, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been good. But I will say about All Quiet on the Western Front, I've said this many times, I think, throughout the season and on our previous episodes, but if you can, go see this in a theater. I know it's on Netflix and that is tempting, but I think that you need to see it in a theater to get the full experience for this and to understand and see why it's nominated for so many craft categories. I know that Netflix has put it back into some theaters. It's playing, of course, in a number of theaters here in New York, but it's playing back in Ohio right now, too. I saw that it's in theaters there, so I told my parents that they need to go see it. But I'm overall pretty happy that All Quiet on the Western Front is, one, as good as it is, but two, Netflix is big push this year considering some of their other contenders i'm glad Mm -hmm. that this is one of those films that ended up getting a lot of love across the board and i hope that in the future international films can be celebrated in many different categories it will become the norm that we see international features nominated for best picture of course yes but also visual effects and makeup and hairstyling and sound because A lot of the best work in those categories comes from international films. We just don't necessarily see them recognized all the time in that way. So all of this to say, go see All Quiet on the Western Front in a theater if you can. And I hope that this trend continues on as the Academy becomes more international. Yeah, I agree. And with their debacle with putting Glass Onion in theaters earlier this year and taking that out and now putting All Quiet back in, I think... Obviously, it's a really smart move and a good move for viewers and audiences as well. But I hope, one, it gets audiences more involved in these categories, too. But then also, I hope other international films get better releases because sometimes they just go to art house theaters that aren't accessible to a lot of people. So if this is one of those big pushes, I am all for it. You mentioned Really Loving Close, and I, of course, really love EO. So just quickly to talk about Argentina 1985 and The Quiet Girl. Argentina 1985 is available on Prime right now if you want to watch it. I need to give a warning to everyone to check your audio settings because mine defaulted to dubbed, which was a very painful experience at first, and I had to switch (laughs) it over, of course, to subtitles. But it took a little bit of figuring out. So just a warning. 
But this one, I think, was just, for me, not as good as Spotlight, but better than The Trial of the Chicago 7. It, I think, aims to be a movie that is about ordinary, everyday people achieving a spectacular feat in the face of political conflict. For me, the stakes, unfortunately, never really felt that high. So I thought that this was a solid film, and it was fairly well accomplished, but it just wasn't one of the category that really stood out for me as one to champion here. In hearing the filmmakers talk about it, that is what really got to me is how they recaptured this trial in the place that the actual trial happened as well. So getting those firsthand accounts from victims and families of victims was just so hard to watch. There's one story about a woman that was pregnant and had a child on a bus while she was captured. It's devastating to hear that this actually happened, but the angles of which the filmmakers capture this, I think is really poignant as well. But I enjoyed the story. I like the characters and how it felt like this hodgepodge of people working together and they bring in this younger generation to help them, which I think really matches the moment we are in politically and socially as well. And then with The Quiet Girl, this one is a little bit harder to find. So I think it's coming out in theaters soon in the U.S., so near the end of February. But I thought that this was a great first nomination for Ireland. It appears on the surface, like you know how the story is going to unfold, and it's rather unassuming, but it really did hit me emotionally by the end. It was. It is a very simple story of this little girl and what she is experiencing. But I was really moved by it and by the importance of kindness and that being the like one of the general themes of the film. And I thought it was really well directed. This is a first feature. So I thought that Berade did a really great job directing his actors here. And yeah, I highly recommend it for when it comes out in theaters. Yeah, I agree. The conclusion definitely got to me emotionally as well. I did really like Catherine, who is the little girl who plays Cot. There really isn't much that happens in this movie, and you end up watching her a lot of the time in these small moments where she feels like an outsider. And I love that her aunt and her uncle who take her in for a summer really embrace her in ways that she needed to. So I like that. This film is spotlighting how to interact with kids who don't necessarily feel like they have a place amongst their peers. And I really enjoyed watching the relationship between her and her uncle throughout this film and the little things that happen between them. It's just, it really is heartwarming. And I liked that, you know, this is definitely not a film that I thought would have gotten a nomination, but I'm glad that audiences will have a chance to see it because of this. Absolutely. So share with the listeners why you love Close. (laughs) Oh boy. I think Lucas just hit a nerve with a story that I think a lot of people can connect with. He talked about a book that inspired him to write this film about actual kids from when they were 13 or 14. And then they go back and interview them again when they're 17 or 18. And Their responses about how they talk about their male friendships completely changes. And I think that is the cornerstone to this film. Yes, it also gets at LGBTQ issues, which 
were really resounding for me as well. But it has these really universal themes about friendship and love and loss and grief that I think all audiences can connect with. I think the description was pretty vague and I am trying to be pretty vague about it as well because it does hit you in a certain way. But I think the cinematography and the score were outstanding. We get some very beautiful shots in the field of flowers where Leo lives and just the way they capture this friendship between these two boys is really, really beautiful. I thought that Eden Dambrina, who plays Leo, I think he gives an incredible lead performance, especially for a child actor. Like He was out acting many of the adult male performers this year, I will say. I think that the performance alone was the reason to watch it for me. Like, what a breakthrough. I'm going to be vague as well, but... I think there there's a twist that happens midway through the movie, and it never really recovered from that for me. So just to offer another opinion on it, it just felt sort of like a mean gotcha to me that I didn't respond as well to, but I do think there's a lot to appreciate in the movie, and maybe it was just something that I didn't connect with as much, but I'm certain that other people will connect to it just as much as you did. So I mentioned what my write-in votes would be, but what would you write in? for this category my write-in votes i have many (laughs) that i really Mm -hmm. loved this year um santo mare decision to leave and actually joyland as well i also liked return to soul a lot holy spider there are so many if i had to just pick one though i would say santo mare and then what do you think should win i'm gonna go with close just because i think that it's not going to win i think it's a great addition here what about you what do you think should win My write-in vote would be for EO. I loved this film. It moved me very deeply in ways that I didn't expect when I watched it. It was one of those films where when it ended, I was just sort of sitting there and, of course, listening to the people in the film forum crowd who were mostly silent except for the one older woman who shouted, Can we get our money back? That, that says everything that you need to know about this movie, I think. It's, it's definitely not for everyone. And it doesn't have much of a plot in the traditional sense. It's it's a road movie in a way. It's a it's a movie about a wanderer, and it's a movie told through the POV of a donkey. This donkey was played by six donkeys: Ettore, Ola, Marietta, Mella, Rocco, and Taco. So congratulations to them for playing the great EO. But I think that uh, Skolomowski he's in his eighties. He's been working for so long, and I think it's just so beautiful that late in life he created this film that is so spirited and whimsical and picaresque. And it's an homage to Ohazard Balthazar, the Brisson film. And I don't know, I just, I feel like it evoked a lot of emotion in me. And it feels like a major feat of filmmaking, even in its simplicity. It also has a lot of directorial flourishes in it, in its cinematography, in um, some of its expressionistic tendencies. I loved it. But I also understand like it is not a film for everyone. So just know that going into it. Okay, next up we have documentary feature. Here are some of our precursors. We have the Cinema Eye Honors and the International Documentary Association. They're winners. We also get winners in this category throughout the year with critics, prizes, and things like that. The first nominee that we have is All That Breathes. Description here, amidst the darkening backdrop of Delhi's apocalyptic air and escalating violence, 
Two brothers devote their lives to protect one casualty of the turbulent times, the bird known as the Black Kite. This was directed by Shanak Sen. It won Outstanding Feature at the Cinema Eye Honors and the Gotham Awards. It also won Best Feature Documentary, Director, and Editing at the International Documentary Association and the Grand Jury Prize for World Cinema at Sundance. Our next nominee, we have All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. This film follows the life of artist Nan Golden and the downfall of the Sackler family, the pharmaceutical dynasty who is greatly responsible for the opioid epidemic's unfathomable death toll. This was directed by Laura Poitras. This is her third Oscar nomination she previously won for the documentary Citizen Four. This film won the Golden Lion at Venice, so their biggest honor, and outstanding direction at the Cinema Eye Honors. Next, we have Fire of Love. This is about the intrepid scientists and volcanologists, real-life husband and wife, Katya and Maurice Kraft, who died in a volcanic explosion, doing the very thing that brought them together, unraveling the mysteries of volcanoes by capturing the most explosive imagery ever recorded. This was directed by Sarah Dosa. It's had quite a successful award season so far, too. It won Outstanding Editing, Visual Design, and Original Score at the Cinema Eye Honors. It also won U.S. Documentary Editing at Sundance. Our next nominee is A House Made of Splinters. This film is about an institution for children who have been removed from their homes while awaiting court custody decisions. Staff do their best to make the time children have there safe and supporting. It's directed by Simon Lorraine Wilmont, and this won the Directing Award for World Cinema Documentary at Sundance. In our last nominee, we have Navalny. This follows the man who survived an assassination attempt by poisoning with a lethal nerve agent in August 2020, while during his months-long recovery, he makes shocking discoveries about the attempt on his life and decides to return home. This was directed by Daniel Rower. This won the Cinema Eye Audience Choice Prize and Outstanding Production. It also won Audience and Festival Favorite Awards at Sundance. Looking at all of these nominees as a whole, what do you think of this category? I think for documentary feature, we also usually get political, but also sometimes environmental. So I think they're hitting all of those touchstones there really well. With all that breeze, they're talking about India and not only the birds there, the wildlife, but the environment and the effect that climate change and the rise in population has had on that area. So I think it's really smart in how it plays with those themes. And then we have Fire of Love talking about volcanoes, obviously. And then we get more political with Navalny and a house made of splinters. Also with all the beauty and the bloodshed, you know, with Nan Golden taking down this pharmaceutical company that really created the opioid epidemic through the greed and the amount of money that they've made from prescribing these drugs. It's really fascinating to see this through an artist's perspective and through the perspective of someone who was addicted and has a really personal connection to this issue. I think from what I heard about other documentaries, I would have liked to have seen a couple others here. I'm not super hot on All That Breeze and Fire of Love, and it's kind of interesting to see almost all of these have won at Sundance, but I think overall it's a decent group. You know, we do get a lot of variety, kind of like an international feature, so I'm happy in that way. How do you feel about this group as a whole? 
I feel really similarly to you, actually. I think that the the one thing I'll say is that people really love a lot of these documentaries, and I was not as high on some of them, particularly like you, All the Breathes, and Fire of Love. I would have loved a version of Fire of Love with Werner Herzog mm-hmm. doing the voice, <laughs> doing the narration. <laughs> feels like as him. he's made, right, movies about, he's made his own films about volcanoes and about this couple in particular as well. So I feel like he would have been great there. I would have loved to see that. But I mentioned how much I loved All the Beauty and the Bloodshed on our end of the year episode. I think it's an essential documentary and it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Really, when I think about documentary filmmaking, it feels very current. But the way that it blends these different stories and fuses them together also as a complete narrative. I don't believe this feels like two disparate stories. I think it's absolutely crucial that these stories exist in the documentary as they do. The one story about Nan Golden and her life in New York City and everything that has to do with her sister in the film, but also with her activism around the opioid crisis. It just, again, it feels like the perfect documentary for right now. But I have to say... A House Made of Splinters, I thought was was a really, really strong documentary. I think I appreciated it too because we get so much archival footage in this category with stories here that are told in very similar ways. And A House Made of Splinters felt almost like a verite film where it got so close to these children, but it never felt exploitative because of the vulnerability and the empathy that it felt for its subjects, but it w- it never felt like it was trying to be overt in teaching us some lesson. It just felt like it was there in the room with these children and showing us the hardship of their lives. So it's a tough watch, but it was one that I was really surprised by and I think definitely deserves to be here. If anyone has seen the 7-Up series, I kind of likened it to that in the sense that you're not getting interviews the entire time, but you're getting to see these kids grow up in real time and they feel very real too. Like the filmmakers talk about when they were there filming, they waited to film the kids until they warmed up to these strangers, these new people. And so I feel like what we get is a very real look into their lives and the emotions they feel. I mean, Seeing kids dealing with alcoholic parents who are absent in their lives is awful and heartbreaking, but to see them talk about it and joke about it with their friends was just a totally eye-opening experience, and I really did enjoy this as well. I hope it has some sort of release coming in the States. All That Breathes and Navalny are on HBO Max, and Fire of Love is on Disney+. Plus. I know All the Beauty and the Bloodshed was in theaters, so I'm hoping that A House Made of Splinters is there soon as well. Yeah, we saw it as sort of a special one-night engagement in theaters here. It was crowded. Mm -hmm. I think it was. there were a lot of people there who knew that it was the only way and time to watch this movie. But yeah, I hope it gets a bigger release or at least heads to streaming really soon. And Navalny, I do want to mention with this one, this reminded me a lot of when Icarus won. Do you remember that? The Mm -hmm. Russian doc about doping. Not just the subject matter being around Russia and everything problematic politically there, but there is a sequence, I will say, in the middle that I think is so 
out there and bizarre that has to do with a phone call that I think, I know we're not getting into predictions, but could be a reason why people vote for it. I mean, you have Russian conflict in a house made of splinters and Navalny. And I think, you know, with that being so prescient right now, could definitely get them votes. Navalny, like this happened in real time. And I still was not aware of anything that happened in this movie. So that phone call was so shocking. And I think it's the scene that a lot of people step away from that movie remembering. And boy, like the way they captured that, (laughs) it's funny and such a twisted sense and that like this happened and yeah I I won't say anything more but I totally agree I loved that sequence and seeing the man behind the camera and you know the man who is going up against Putin it's I think a really unique documentary that we got this year so what would your write and vote be so I was really bad with documentaries this year I kind of waited until the last minute until the shortlist came out So I will plug a few that I heard about and that I really do need to watch once Oscar viewing is over. I'm ready for it. But some that I heard a lot of buzz about were Is That Black Enough For You, The Territory, Descent, and Bad Acts. And some of these were on the shortlist. What would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would be for Descendant, which was one of my favorite movies of 2022. This was produced by Higher Ground, the Obama's production company. You can watch it on Netflix. And it's just this really beautiful, overwhelming story about the descendants of the Clotilda, which is a slave ship. And it's really moving to see these people connect to their heritage through the remains of this ship, but also find community together and think about like their legacy moving forward it's really well done and it's a difficult watch but again I think it's everything in the same way that all the beauty and the bloodshed was for me the story is told in creative ways and it just feels like the perfect documentary for right now and what do you think should win I think that all the beauty and the bloodshed should win this is my favorite documentary in the category I love it so much and I I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful it can win, but yeah, I, I think it would be a perfect perfect winner here. My vote would also go to this film. I was really emotionally moved by it, by her testimony, by her art and the way that they show it throughout the movie. I think it's a really strong entry that I'm surprised hasn't been steamrolling this season, but I'm really hoping for it on Oscar night. Okay, best animated feature. Some of our precursors here, we have the Annie Awards. This ceremony is on February 25th. And then we also have the Golden Globes, the BAFTA Critics' Choice. The winner there was Pinocchio. Our nominees, we have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Description here, a father's wish magically brings a wooden boy to life in Italy, giving him a chance to care for the world. It was directed by Guillermo del Toro. This is his sixth nomination. He won for The Shape of Water in Picture and Director. And then Mark Gustafsson, this is his first nomination. Next, we have Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. So this is, of course, based on the animated short film about Marcel the Shell. If you've seen Marcel the Shell on YouTube, this is a feature-length adaptation. 
And here's a little description. Marcel is an adorable one-inch tall shell who ekes out a colorful existence with his grandmother Connie and their pet Lynch, Alan. Once part of a sprawling community of shells, they now live alone as the sole survivors of a mysterious tragedy. But when a documentary filmmaker discovers them amongst the clutter of his Airbnb, the short film he posts online brings Marcel millions of passionate fans, as well as unprecedented dangers and a new hope at finding his long-lost family. This was directed by Dean Fleischer Camp, and it won at NBR and with the New York Film Critics Circle. Next up, we have Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Description here, when Puss in Boots discovers that his passion for adventure has taken its toll and he has burned through eight of his nine lives, he launches an epic journey to restore them by finding the mythical Last Wish. It's directed by Joel Crawford and Hanuel Mercado. This is both of their first-time nominations. Next, we have The Sea Beast. This is about a young girl who stows away on the ship of a legendary sea monster hunter, and they launch an epic journey into uncharted waters and make history to boot. This was directed by Chris Williams. This is his third nomination, and he previously won for Big Hero 6. And our final nominee, we have Turning Red. Description here. A 13-year-old girl named Maylin turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. It's directed by Domi Shi. This is her first nomination in animated feature, but she previously won for animated short for Bao. So this list of nominations, how do you feel about them overall? So I can't believe I'm saying this, but of all of the categories we've talked about today on this episode, this is my favorite one. I (laughs) really love a handful of these movies and enjoyed my time watching all of them for different reasons and in different ways. But I think this is a really strong group of films. And I think you you do have something for everyone here. You have different styles of animation. I'm really happy with Turning Red being our Pixar Disney mm-hmm. selection here over Lightyear. I thought that Turning Red was a movie that I think was sort of unfairly maligned when it came out. People didn't really understand it. It had this weird straight to Disney Plus release, even though it totally deserved a theatrical one. And I thought it was a really sweet story that a lot of young girls can connect with. And I hope that it's one that people continue to share throughout the future. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is just pure joy. It is so fun. It is a sequel that I really didn't care to see when I first saw the trailer. I thought that the animation styles looked sort of strange. I had never seen the first Puss in Boots, Mm -mm. and I love cats, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but I just wasn't quite sure about it. And then the word of mouth effect really worked on me, you know, like seeing that it had gotten positive reviews and that people were really enjoying it. I went to see this with my family on Christmas Eve, and we all loved it. We thought it was so much fun. So I love that that was here. The Sea Beast also. So I saw this one later. I started watching this movie at seven o'clock in the morning before I had to start working for the day, which was not ideal at first, but you have to, you have to cram these movies in when you, you know, it's just, (laughs) we're in crunch time right now. But I actually think that what Netflix is doing right now in terms of animated films is really surprising and I welcome it wholeheartedly you know taking stories that are definitely 
that can feel derivative. I think, you know, we've seen a story like The Sea Beast before, but I think it's a movie that adults and kids can get something out of. I thought that the animation was really strong and it was filmed really beautifully. I loved a lot of the shots in the movie. I thought they were very creative and it was much stronger than I anticipated months ago when I saw the poster pop up on my Netflix. So I think that for the most part this season, we've been talking about Pinocchio and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, but I wanted to shout out those other three because I think that they are also, they're also great films in their own ways. I'm just mostly happy that, you know, it has been a really strong year for animated films and we're not just talking about a category that half its nominees are from Disney or Pixar. So I love that Mm -hmm. really my favorite part of this category is that we do have a lot of different animation styles. I love that there's stop motion. I love that there's live action mixed with stop motion with Marcel the Shell. And then we do have more traditional animation styles. But yeah, I think they're all really rewatchable. I was watching Turning Red again, and I think I was a little too harsh on it the first time around. I love Sandra Oh's performance as Malin's mom, and I think it does really connect with audiences and share a really special story in the same way that Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, that story doesn't matter at all, but it's such a fun time going along Mm -hmm. with these characters that we do know from Shrek, and we get some little Easter eggs to Shrek in there. I hadn't seen the first Puss in Boots, but heard so many great things that I just, you know, went and saw this and yeah, absolutely loved it. I think in a typical year, I would be rooting for that. But again, I think Mm -hmm. any of these would be really strong winners. I completely agree. And we talked a bit more in depth about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on a previous episode this year on a release roundup. And we also talked a little bit about Marcel the Shell with Shoes On in our summer episode with... Ryan Lamb. Okay, and what would your write-in vote be? My vote would go for another stop-motion film. So this is Wendell and Wild. You had mentioned this on your Oscar predictions about, you know, Jordan Peele as a producer and it coming from Monkey Paw. I think there are a lot of important themes, important political elements in this as well that it touches on, and that might have been a little too dark for this group and why it didn't get nominated, but I think it's a wonderful film. This is also on Netflix where you can watch it. I highly recommend it. What would your write-in vote be? So my write-in vote would be for a movie called The Bad Guys. (laughs) What? (laughs) Which (laughs) is much better than its trailer will lead you to believe. I think that the voice work in this movie is really good. You have... Sam Rockwell, who is really good as Wolf, who is the leader of the pack. Mark Marin, Aquafina, Anthony Ramos, Zazie Beats. It's just a fun cast, and I feel like it's sort of like Ocean's Eleven, but mm. with animals for kids. Okay. This is definitely one that is made for kids, so just know that going into it. It's sweet, though. It's cute. So who do you think should win? This was hard for me because I think there are... Like I said, a lot of really strong players here. I think for a while I would have said Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio because I do think that is just an incredible feat of animation and getting to see all of the stop motion puppets and that display at MoMA was just incredible. Mm -hmm. If you're in New York City, 
definitely go see it. It's a wonderful exhibit about how Guillermo del Toro put his whole life into this project, which I think is really cool. But I'm going to go with Marcel the Shell with shoes on because I was just so inspired by this movie's creativity. I think that Jenny Slate and Isabella Rossellini, yes, that is correct, (laughs) both gave fantastic voice performances here as Marcel and Nana Connie. And I had no desire, I'm just going to put it out there, to see Marcel the Shell with shoes on in a 90-minute format. I had no interest at first because... (laughs) I had seen Marcel the Shell on YouTube, and I thought there's no way I'll be able to handle that for the runtime of a feature film. But I was wrong. It was great. I didn't want it to end. I thought it was just so, Mm -hmm. so fun and funny and heartwarming, and it made me cry, of course. I thought it was just a beautiful little film. It hits all of those emotional beats that translate really well for kids and adults so i definitely highly recommend this as well my pick goes to guillermo del toro's pinocchio and for the reasons that you love it as well and exactly why i said marcel the shell is good for all audiences so is this you know it's a story that everybody knows from disney mainly but also from the brothers Grimm, and that's a way more gruesome tale, but I love how Guillermo and Mark put a spin on that here and capture it in this really beautiful way with these figures that really bring the story to life. I loved this journey that we go on. And all the voices, we have an amazing cast here. Obviously, Tilda, we mentioned her when we talked about the episode, and Ewan McGregor is Cricket. He's phenomenal, but also David Bradley, who was Filch from Harry Potter. We have John Turturro, Cape Blanchett, Tim Blake Nelson, Christoph Waltz. The list goes on and on. Cape Blanchett as Spazzatura, the monkey, mm-hmm. is a mood. But yeah, I think another thing about Pinocchio, the origins of Pinocchio are Italian. It's an Italian, it's an Italian tale. And I love that you can feel Italy throughout this movie and throughout Guillermo del Toro's decision making here and how it incorporates fascism is fascinating to me for an animated film. Mm -hmm. It felt like one of those that I think growing up when we watched Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Black Cauldron, those Disney movies that were scary Mm -hmm. and had horrifying themes in them. This sort of feels indebted to those, which I liked. So that was our Contenders episode on international documentary and animated feature. We hope that you enjoyed listening to us discuss these categories today, but I really enjoyed talking about these. This was a fun conversation. Yeah, great group of noms. Definitely, if you can check out any of them, I think these categories usually, more often than not, get swept under the rug at the Oscars. So if they're streaming, if they're in a theater near you, definitely try to check them out. Next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll have another Contenders episode, this time on all the shorts categories. So we'll be talking about live action, documentary, and animated short films. Speaking of things that get swept under the rug, um, the shorts categories. So yes, definitely go see them. By the time this episode airs, the live action animated and documentary shorts will all be in theaters. So a lot of the shorts, we can link them in the description when we post that episode, but you can find them on YouTube or Apple TV+, Vimeo, The New Yorker, a lot of different sites, but... 
a fun way to see them if you want to is to go see them in theaters. That way you can see all of them together as a collection. So I'm excited to talk about those and to move ahead also to our big above the line categories coming very soon. Absolutely. Well, if you like our show, please rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at OscarWildPod and for bonus content on patreon.com slash OscarWild. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.